The theme for the talk this afternoon <coughs> is receptivity to what is deep. One of the common voices which I hear <coughs> on the retreat, particularly on the first day or two, is how hard it is. <coughs> Not only with regard to persons, as with some of you, for whom it's the first time of uh, being on a retreat, but uh, also for some of the more, what should we call, seasoned veterans of uh, uh, the retreat world. And in the initial period of the retreat, <coughs> that means could be the first day or first day or two, there is often reference to a settling in period. And both <coughs> mind and body can be making an adjustment. Part of the reason for this is quite often our lives are so <coughs> externalized doing for others in the world contact, engagement and all the manifestations and very easily it leads to some forgetfulness or some neglect with the process which is here which one calls oneself <coughs> and then when we take all the emphasis off for a short period, days, off the external, the reports are, gosh, how much pain there is in the body. My mind is all over the place. I've got headaches. I can't sleep at night. And my primary thought is, get me out of here. <laughs> one of the most successful mantras known to our species. And somewhere in all of this, we might call it trust or hope, <laughs> <laughs> I'm labouring the point, but <laughs> that <clears throat> things will change. And we might find that as we adjust and adapt, and remember, adaption is part of our species, that, that some of that, maybe not all, but some of all of that stress, tension, tiredness, boredom, distractions, aches and pains, gets much, much less. And it's an important point itself to reflect upon, because it shows to us the experiences arising, it's staying, and hopefully some of it, maybe, possibly, passing, and sometimes the feeling sense between first day and third day can be quite different. There's no assurance whatsoever, of course, that this is how it is for, for everybody. Some may well settle into the retreat at the beginning, happy, glad to be here, 
and then today the circumstances is get me out of here issues are arising there's stress and tension emotional events stories and pressure or whatever but we are a species <coughs> in the movement of change we need to be mindful of change not as the ultimate truth of life but as a fact of life as a confirmation through human experience and to really recognize is these change are changes are taking place and importantly to be very very clear about it so that there's two aspects to this <clears throat> with change and it's a message from the deep one is there is change which we can initiate the disruption the change which you and I can apply and that motivation, the commitment those things we've touched upon are really, really necessary we've got to keep in heart and mind our ability and capacity often, not always, to change a circumstance but there is also change which comes to us it was not invited we didn't ask for it, it is happening and that also requires a skill and a practice to be able to work with those changes unwelcome and unwanted for some it's called ageing it's called loss, it's called sickness, it's called pain, or whatever. And in our vulnerability, as human beings, life calls on us, so to speak. The deep calls on us, so to speak. To really have the capacity to work with change which can be applied, and change which comes to us. And both of them matter equally. And not surprisingly, these teachings give equal emphasis to the recognition of change, of impermanence in our life in, so to speak, both directions and in that <coughs> ability to work with change there, it is an encouragement this is from deeper perspective of things it is an encouragement to let go of that which we recognize <clears throat> and we need to let go of. We're mindful of it, we're clear of it, about it. It's arising for us and to know that which we need to let go of. Sometimes it's not in our hands. It's a privilege, it's a point of wisdom and clarity to have the capacity to let go but not everybody can and to give an, exa uh, an example of what I mean <clears throat> this happens rarely we had the retreats in the Saranath Saranath is uh, the place where uh, the Buddha gave his first teachings realised <coughs> what mattered in life is dealing with suffering, the causes and conditions, resolution of it, and the way to resolve it. All four areas really matter to human beings. And then he made the walk around 
200 kilometers, I would say, and to Saranath near Benares, Varanasi, and there gave uh, the first uh, teaching. So last, since the late 1990s, I had the privilege of teaching there in the Thai monastery. Maybe 50, 60, perhaps uh, on the retreat, this rarely happens. A person had a psychotic breakdown. It very rarely happens in our retreat. And the person <coughs> from uh, 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 Turkey are there. And those of you who work in this field, who uh, give much valuable and important service, know as well as everyone else here, it's not in the capacity of the individual to say, oh, oh, I need to let go of this. It's an absurd idea. And we, in a bit of background, we, in the retreat in Saranath, we have a form which fills out, and one page, it's only for the teacher, myself, to see, and one page of that is asking questions about the person's psychological physical history right down to the detail we ask including the medication including the episode when it happened was one suicidal etc we, we have to check and it happens from time to time it happened in this case the person put to all these questions and maybe 15 or 20 of them no, 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 no because the person humanly enough thought that she wouldn't be allowed to sit the retreat because of the history. I've never yet stopped anybody from sitting on a retreat with me. Not what I do. But I give the, offer the person a different kind of retreat from the formal one. However, how it was. There. The point I wanted to make here was that we then, 10 o'clock at night, no, sorry, late in the afternoon, Finding an appropriate mental hospital in or near Varanasi in India. I promise you, it's not easy. <laughs> and we couldn't say to her where we were going in the car. Not easy. Four people went. The driver plus a doctor who was on the retreat with us and, uh, and uh, two other people. And in all of that, we were v very, very grateful and appreciative that on the third attempt, going to the mountain, we found a place where we felt confident there in the cleanliness of the place, in the team of people there, in the environment which is, is there. And the doctor very kindly allowed two people, two seasoned meditators, in fact, to stay with her in the room there. And she was provided with the medication. We contacted her good husband, who I know, from um, his home in a town in uh, Turkey. He knew on a Thursday, by the Monday, he was in Varanasi, really. Commitment. The woman was probably in her mid-thirties. And we were appreciative and grateful for the immediacy and helpful response 
of uh, the psychiatrist. We were grateful for the response uh, of the good people who stayed with her 24 uh, hours a day over some days. And by the third or fourth day, with the very helpful and supportive medication that she took, she was out of this psychotic episode. And so sometimes we use the language, you know, here of practice, seeing impermanence and letting go. We should never forget the privilege that we have. And others, very vulnerable, and we found out uh, 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 later that she'd spent four months in an institution for these uh, 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 issues uh, there. And to her credit, she really wanted to, and she was just concerned that she'd be rejected. So she kindly wrote to me a very warm email when she returned home with her husband to Turkey and um, apologised for, uh, for putting no on the, on the uh, question and appreciative for all the good support uh, that she received. We who are blessed, blessed we are, with the opportunity in life to explore, to change, therefore, need to keep our hearts really, really open for those who need our support. Because sometimes when a person is very insecure or unstable or vulnerable or going through a mental health issue, human beings, all of us without exception, we need that which is the other who is steady and stable. When it is lost, the stability, which is what the deep is about, it's stable. And we need the depth or the groundedness or the equanimity or the calmness of being of the other because the one who has lost it needs a reference somewhere for it. The truth is stable, the deep is stable, the centeredness is stable. And if it's lost, as it can be, then the reference of the other is the reference point to the person who refines it, rediscovers it for <coughs> himself. It's always been the case for us, for our species. But in the exploration of the deep, which is what awakening is about, what love and friendship is about, what uh, silence and receptivity uh, uh, is about is clearly a very common feature with the uh, emphasis with the, with the retreat. And in that, <coughs> as some of you have been reporting, either with the retreat or from uh, memory, there are moments and times <clears throat> in the feeling life, the heart life, where we recognize and express and feel the expansion of the heart. I remember one of my uh, publishers saying to me, Christopher, if you have a, this is in the 1990s, <clears throat> if you have a book with the word heart in it, 
it's going to sell a lot more copies. I can't remember if I've got a book word with a heart in it. I hope not. But anyway. So, sometimes in a culture and society which is so heady, so much in the mental, their knowledge and information and all that, we need to find access and to explore the heart. But what very easily happens, and it's a common voice there, that the view, which is of the mind, and the picture image, that self-image once again, easily, in its reactivity, turns to the heart. <coughs> and it enters into the heart or about the heart in a judgmental way. Example. When the view arises, when somebody else has hurt us, upset us, I should be more forgiving. <coughs> I should be more forgiving. Whoa. Watch that one. Poor, that's a hell of a pressure to put on oneself. Another one in the uh, heart. I should keep my heart more open. There's another kind of pressure guarantee to close down the heart. And um, uh, another one um, uh, is, why can't I keep my heart open, etc. <coughs> One has to remember in these matters of heart and metaphor here, the heart is important, but the, the deep, with a capital D here, the deep is always, without exception, deeper than the heart. And I'll come to that in a moment or two. So sometimes, as an example, there is the heart, and we might be speaking to another, including this follower, and there is a sharing taking place, and the very voice happens every day, the voice in the sharing from the other, <coughs> maybe for the wish for the heart to be forgiving, wish the heart to show more kindness, to be more compassionate, to offer more, and the person in the very moment of the speaking is speaking from the heart with an open heart, but the voice is speaking as if the heart isn't open. Oh, I should be, why can't I be? And the person is sharing truthfully and sometimes tearfully from the heart and the words are completely opposite. I'm so closed down, I'm not really open, I find it difficult to share, etc. What do you think is going on in the moment? <laughs> and the importance of recognizing this is to be mindful of the image and to be able to recognize the many, many moments when we are receptive, we are open-hearted, we are sharing, we are happy to recognize all of those moments and remembering, very important this, no human being 
I've never met one, and I've met a few who've been around on this earth long enough. No human being can live day in and day out with an open heart. It's just not inhuman endeavor. And I've had the privilege of meeting some of the great spiritual teachers, many of them you probably could name as well, over the, over the years. And the, the teachings recognize this very, very well. And what that means is <clears throat> there are times when you and I, through the wisdom which is, transcends the heart, when the wisdom says to us, I need time out, I need renewal. I need the silence. And though there may be upon us lots of demands upon us, <coughs> pardon me, lots of needs from us, we're listening to the being, we're listening from the voice of the deeps, we call it. <coughs> and at times the heart must be quiet. It doesn't make it cold, it doesn't make it detached, it certainly doesn't make it indifferent, but it needs rest. And therefore the heart can be open, but that which is open sometimes needs all of us a stepping back from to gain the renewal to enter back into. Teachings have expressed this. And therefore the response when the heart is in its quiet mode, there, the Buddha's language here is equanimity, being calm and steady, in which there is no pressure on ourselves to have to forgive. It can be an incredible expectation and demand on, one's, on, 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 on oneself there. But can we be steady enough, which the heart isn't open to, but very, very quiet, in which we are able to look at a situation or another, and one thing is clear, we are not angry, we are not blaming, we are not attacking, we are clear about events, we are steady with it, and we're not placing a demand on ourselves to be forgiving and to be open. And the equanimity, whether it's in relationship to the past or the present, often shows itself <clears throat> as an incredible statement of wisdom. And the, the, uh, the Buddhists don't uh, like this, so they, they avoid the word. But the Buddha gave these teachings about God. The word for God is Brahma. Brahma means God. Anyone's been to India, anyone knows the text, the word Brahma means God. The Buddha spoke about God regularly. The Buddhists can't handle it. So they drop the word God and they use the word divine because then they can feel a bit more comfortable. <laughs> it's been, been going on for two and a half thousand years. Some of us 
we like the word God. We're quite comfortable with it. We've dropped the old interpretations uh, of it. And there are four expressions of being with Brahma, being with God. Love, metta, which includes friendship. One of you expressed to me today your blessing of your, somebody said to me almost word for word here, your blessing of having such a deep, of the word used, friendship with a couple of people who actually uh, I know, one of whom is on three month retreat at Guy House currently, of the blessing of a deep friendship with others. When it is deep, the Buddha then referred to when it's genuinely deep of being with God, deep friendship and authentic deep friendship the characteristic of it is that it has a staying power to it something is deep, it can stay it will stay and you might be in a relationship lovers, partners husband and wife if it's deep and it enters into a transition <clears throat> into its form from, from relationship, from going to bed with each other or whatever language uh, there. If it's deep, it can sustain itself as a friendship. If it's really deep, it can sustain itself as a friendship. Not always. There's compassion. Also deep in the ability to respond to the suffering of the other. It's not compassionate sitting on meditation cushions and sending out compassion. It's a nice idea. Compassion is the action. It's the word. It's the engagement. Another is the joy and the happiness. And the fourth is equanimity. In other words, it has the same precious, deep significance for a human being as love, compassion and joy. And therefore there is a flexibility of being with God. And sometimes being with God is in a deep state of equanimity. A deep happiness and joy. A real dedication, perhaps lifelong, sustaining itself to service to others, we call compassion. And, and love, friendship, loving kindness. And it's important to remember all four because sometimes the equanimity that being really steady like I mentioned earlier person having a really hard time needs someone with equanimity someone who is really steady. <clears throat> and that steadiness is as important no more, no less than love and friendship no less than compassion, no less than joy, to really find the steadiness. Really a deep and precious response to, to, uh, to life. And sometimes when we are quietly steady and calm, beautiful things happen. <clears throat> Get a bit 
It's all right. <coughs> I don't think I've drunk so much water since I climbed Mount Sinai. <laughs> all right. So this summer, <coughs> we had our first Yatra pilgrimage um, here in Germany. The idea for it occurred over a chai in Saranath. Most new things start either over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. You read the history. The Russian Revolution started over a cup of coffee. Look what happened to it. I'm I'm keen on revolution, by the way. (coughs) Internal and external. The external without the internal change is not going to last. Got to be both directions. Anyway, so we decided over a couple. The Atra had to be postponed for a year in France, in southern France, in Foothill of the Pyrenees, because we just couldn't find two managers who knew the area, plot the route, meet with them, farmers, da 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 da. da. So I said to uh, Ula, co-teacher uh, uh, teaches uh, here that uh, what about Germany and she said yes yes why not she'd never been on a yatra before never organised a yatra didn't know anything about it and she said yes which was a surprise we didn't even have a tent peg to start with and I have a little experience with the uh, uh, Yatras uh, uh, there and somehow or other miraculously it got together one or two of you here were on the Yatra what was precious and lovely about this was your beloved farmers in the area near Reutlingen which is near Stuttgart Forgive the pronunciation. <laughs> Near Stuttgart, <laughs> uh, uh, that were incredibly kind, organic farmers. And she got the email addresses, wrote to them, and there would they put up with around 70 of us uh, uh, there. And we gave our credentials 18 years of Yatra in France, 10 years in Britain, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they were incredibly kind and uh, helpful really really quite and we said we're not paying you you're not going to make any money out of it but they were organic farmers and when we told them it was an eco which it was an eco pilgrimage and we're all vegan oh they were so happy (laughs) (laughs) just a cup of tea and so we organised and ordered all the food from the farmers or the organic uh, bread from the farmers. And then we went to the local Turkish shops. We, it's not we, it's a royal we, Ula. (laughs) 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 To the Turkish shops. And we ordered all our rice and dal and all the other things, lentils, uh, there from them. Not organic, but we want to support the local Turkish shopkeepers. Uh, there and with the combination of all of this and with crowd fundraising etc etc somehow or other this yatra got off the ground it was remarkable 
And there are two or three points I just want to mention uh, 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 to it, because uh, there's a connection of the deep around this. One is, well, uh, an amusing thing happened. Fifty of us are walking or so, fifty to sixty of us were walking, and we, for the first time in thirty years, we lost two people <laughs> in the middle of the forest. And we had walkie-talkies. Try not to go on too long. It's a good story, but from the front to the back, which is good for three to five kilometres, and we're only like two or three hundred metres. But the walkie-talkie couldn't get through the trees. <laughs> Neither could contact. So one guy, you put the bag, bag down on the path, you walk into the trees, you have a piss, and you come back and pick your bag up. So, so the person at the back waited. And then they walked, and the guideline was, if you can't see the person in front, you shout out, stop, halt. And they d- didn't. And they went off into the sunset somewhere. There. <laughs> so this is a, so. Then four of us went looking, but we also didn't want to get lost either. You know, <coughs> the German forests. I can tell you, they go on and on and on. <laughs> you know, it's the privilege of being in the company of the sanger of the trees. So I went. Four of us got to the end of one path. I said, "I'm going to stand here." And I said to the person, "You walk ten minutes in that direction." The good woman had such a voice. I said, you know, shout their names. There. I said, gosh, they'll be able to hear you in France, this voice. They, they still didn't hear you. There. And I just, this is the point, I just, I just, I thought, well, got 20 minutes, she's going to walk 10 minutes in one direction, I'm going to wait here, so we know the path back. And I just stood. And just a few minutes after she'd gone, a fox came out from among the trees, rather well, a little bit old fox, and started walking straight towards me. So I'm just standing there doing my standing meditation <laughs> and watching this fox, a little bit old, head down. <laughs> but, you know, and he got closer and closer to within just a few metres of where I was standing. And I went... <laughs> and it lifted its head up and there was one of those magical kind of sexy moments <laughs> of eye contact and the f- fox looked <laughs> he couldn't believe what he was seeing <laughs> neither could I frankly <laughs> we just looked at each other you know and I said look I'm English but I'm anti-fox hunting I promise <laughs> <laughs> and then off, 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 off he went and it's just there's such a quiet joy and sweetness and delight and it's those things of life this is what happiness is we can't plan it we can't organise it we can't buy it it comes to us the best as human beings is that we can be receptive and this joy is so much deeper than the pleasure of going out to buy something. And we've got to get the pleasure world, which has a place there, there, but in a perspective, so something which is deeper than pleasure, which is called happiness, which is a different 
feeling tone, quite different. And happiness doesn't have the I and my and possession and ownership with it. Happiness is of a different dimension, a different order. So we're not rejecting pleasure. My goodness, we're not rejecting it at all. as much which gives us pleasure in life, of course. But if it's exaggerated, if that sensation is too important for us, we lose access to the deep, and the deep provides happiness and joy. And happiness and joy is that which I cannot own, I cannot buy, and I cannot possess. And sometimes these small incidents in life are there. And it was lovely to see with the organic farmers that they, meeting and talking, of course, are very much aware with the climate change, acutely aware of, of what, is taking pla- uh, what is taking place and the impact that is having on their communities and uh, uh, on their farms. And it, we still, it was one of the sweetnesses as well, to be able to see, as we walk these large meadows, which the farmers keep, and wildflowers growing. And because there are flowers and plants who are growing, then there are lots of insects. And because there are lots of insects, it attracts the bees. Uh, the flowers attract the bees. And because there are flowers and insects and bees there, it attracts the birds. And the birds come and, and we could see, see them. We've walked in France sometimes. We've walked for hours, sometimes days in France. We perhaps heard three or four birds. The forests are terribly quiet. We, the meadows are the confirmation of an ecology. And the farms and the farmers that we saw are now walking, we saw the meadows. Precious. Yeah. And one of the organic farmers, Werner, some of us know well, <coughs> who was on the walk with us there, I asked him to speak to us and he just, one of those things that just kind of touch. Because the mindfulness and the awareness and the deep is not going to be constant access. But it's in the moments that sometimes the deep friendship, the deep meditation, the deep silence, the deep moments of happiness and joy, these are, these are the preciousness of the human experience uh, there. And he's he commented, he said, because bees are so essential to the ecology. And part of the reason that they are so essential because they contribute to the pollination. And that allows more plants to grow, more flowers to grow. They are um, ambassadors, they are vital in the whole process. And it's a tragedy that there is a diminishing of the number of bees. It's been well reported. And he said one of the reasons for it is, like human beings, we as people, we start, as you were doing there, with our day. We are thirsty. We start the day. The bee go to the flower. And where there's heavy chemicals, pesticides, all of that for this fast-growing of the vegetables. The, the bees don't realise 
they take the dewdrop off that. And in that, there is a chemical. That chemical, he told us, doesn't kill the bees. But what happens, the bee gets disorientated. The bee cannot find its way back to the hive. That's why they die. And sometimes we look, we look, something touches. It can touch a place of sadness in the being. But it also can touch our concerns. And in the touch of the sadness, which is important and it's deep, that concern then can find the voice. And it takes sometimes in the wild the recognition of our farmers, the recognition, in my case, of the fox, the group of us listening to the organic farmer, and he said, and I've mentioned it and quoted it a few times there. On another occasion, he and I were out walking together. And um, uh, the Buddha would have, uh, would have appreciated this. He, he said, as we saw, when we were walking, you know, we listened to the birds, lovely and precious, and the buzzards are flying around and sometimes flying above us probably what the hell are they up to (laughs) and uh, other creatures and he said to me once he said the small birds fly through the air but there are the big birds the buzzards the big birds out hunting small birds can be on the ground and walking on the ground but the cats and other creatures can be hunted. But he said, despite the big birds and the cats and the other animals, the small birds don't stop singing. <laughs> Beautiful. And it's sometimes in the nature and sometimes out of our own being that the mysteries, the blessings, the wonder of life that has often said in the old and contemporary texts life spiritually, metaphorically speaks to us it's informing us. It can emerge out of countless numbers of uh, situations. And we recognize and appreciate <coughs> there are no limits. And so when the word infinite is used, which belongs to the deep, immeasurable is used limitless 
vast, eternal. It's not a convenient concept. It's the extraordinary capacity to be receptive to that which has no limits to it. So there's no setting of some finite point in one's life. No reaching somewhere and saying, this is it, because that would make it finite. It would uh, confine something. And that which is free must be limitless. And if you and I in our receptivities with life, inwardly and uh, outwardly, recognize the happinesses of it, recognize the deep friendships, the wisdom and the, the, the clarity, the adventure, the fearlessness, the preciousness of uh, diversity, the way that animals communicate to us, the way that the creatures in the air and on the ground communicate to us, and we to them. All of that manifestations and expressions are the confirmation of an awakened life. We have woke up to what this life is. And we're willing to be receptive to the difficulties and the sadnesses. We're willing to experience sadness. And we're willing also to be touched in extraordinary happy and remarkable ways. We're willing to allow ourselves to engage in it fully. There. And, mentioned earlier, take some time for renewal. Let's have a quiet minute, shall we? beings be receptive to the inner and the outer. May all beings live with love. May all beings appreciate the significance of what is deep. 